Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And this week, we have leaks covering pretty much the full range of Apple devices, plus more updates on 1Password 8 and Electron. Got some personal anecdotes about AirTag and a crazy tweet thread about YouTube creators and the raw footage. So we're going to try and get to it all. And this episode is brought to you by Headspace, LinkedIn Jobs, and Masterclass. You'll hear about those in a moment. And joining me for two weeks in a row, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Uh, seems my master plan has worked in getting William to get locked in the basement, so he won't be joining <laughs> yeah. us this week. No, William fell down a well. No, that's not true either. I personally had some scheduling differences this week, and so William couldn't make it, but fret not, UK listeners, he will be back next week. I started looking at Apple Podcasts, like technology charts, and we are actually higher up on the charts in the UK than the US. So I don't know if the entire country of the UK and England are listening to us, but uh, thank you. You guys are awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I assume it's all William. They're all just here for William. So keep listening. He'll be back next week. All right. Well, a bunch of leaks, rumors, and all that came out. So we'll try to hit that first. iPhone 13, Webbush Supply, which is one of the organizations in the supply chain. They gave a prospective date for the iPhone 13 launch or 12S, whatever it's called in the coming months. They said third week of September, it looks like an iPhone launch or event date. So that's interesting. And also another leak about the kind of camera we might see in this future iPhone being a periscope style camera. And if you think of a periscope like on a submarine, it's it's not exactly that. It's more of using the width of the phone, not the thickness, but the width and having different mirrors and lenses inside the body that reflect off each other to create more of an optical zoom effect rather than having to depend on the depth of the phone and putting larger lenses in that way. It's using mirrors and reflection and all that kind of stuff. So cool leaks, cool rumors. Again, we're going to be seeing in just a few weeks, but do you have any thoughts on that, Wes? Uh, It's interesting. I mean, Webbush, you know, all you have to do is close your eyes and throw a dart at a dartboard with the calendar for <laughs> September and think, okay, yeah, you know, I mean, the 7th is possible, but it's, it's not going to happen. I, That'd be early. Yeah. L- late in the month, middle of the month kind of thing. I, I'm voting for 13th just because that gives Apple the usual week-long release window. And then the, the following Friday, they could do pre-orders and then the week after that do the release. So that fits with expectations. That gets the iPhone 13 out of the door in September. Right. Because, you know, if Apple does launch in October, all the things are going to say iPhone 13 is late and blah, blah, blah. Apple failure, you know, the usual. <laughs> the usual. As far as the Periscope thing, that's interesting. I mean, it's been around for a while. Yeah. One of the S- Samsungs did that a few years ago. I think it's in their current one that does the 100 times optical zoom nonsense that's barely real. And uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, you see pictures of it and it looks good. I mean, it's basically just a better zoomed in view. Now, Google is doing this on the pixels with like using your natural handshake and right. taking a bunch of photos and putting it together with computational photography. So it's like which company or which method is going to really be the long-term solution? Is it going to be doing funny things with the hardware inside the phone or is it going to be more having computer-generated photos basically kind of creating these either zoomed-in images or better stabilized images through software? Yeah, I vote for real optics. Let's not do digital crop. Digital crop is nonsense. You might as well just take the photo as is and then crop it later. Um, I don't care what algorithm you're using. It's going to be relatively the same result. And I've I've seen the pictures Samsung's takes. They're they're interesting, but go on their website and they show the example of like someone standing on a balcony at a beach and zooming into the beach. And it's like, you know, the the kid's holding a sign 30 yards away that says, you know, I love you or something. And yeah, you can make that out, but it's still (laughs) a garbage photo that I would never put on a wall. The question is, is can the periscope thing fit into the phone without sacrificing battery life or thickness? Right. It's definitely a lot of questions there. I think Apple's 
just going to stick with simple what it can fit in the current camera yeah. uh, configuration, you know. Yeah, for sure. And that's also a cringe factor whenever I see someone not only hit the 2x button on their iPhone, but then try to like pinch to zoom in before they take the picture. And that's what Wes is talking about, like that digital crop, like you're not zooming in anything physically it's literally just blowing the picture up and so you get less pixels in that image so yeah. don't do that you know you can hit the 2x button to switch to that longer lens but then just take whatever photo it is and crop it later the maximum like apple could probably do in that size of a of a current of its current lens is maybe 5x maybe they figure out something fancy right you know 5x would be very welcome compared to the 2x now honestly it might require a completely different lens so we might see a four lens iphone but i don't think that's happening this year this year is going to be focused on the megapixels the light you know capture stuff like that yeah and i think that pro video feature stuff that we talked about. I think it was last week, either ProRes as a format to be used on the new iPhone and then that portrait style video mode. Those sound like features that I could hear them talking about in an announcement that people would understand and, you know, be excited about. So yeah. we'll see. We're probably less than a month away from seeing the next iPhone. So stay tuned for sure. Are you going to order one immediately, Steven? I mean, of all the Apple devices I jump on on launch day, it's the iPhone. Like I'm, I'm going to upgrade and I'm, I've been using my big cameras more lately. Like I have a Sony a6400 and a Panasonic S5 pictures and video and stuff, but I don't know something about, I, I, I always want the new phone. Let's be real. So yes, yeah. I'll be getting it on launch day. What, what if Apple announces the iPhone 13 on September 13th? Ooh. Do you think we should stand underneath the ladder and break a mirror at the same time too? <laughs> is it a full moon that day? I, That's, <laughs> that, that'll be the question. Right. Or is it a Friday? And it's not a Friday. No, no it wouldn't it's be a Friday. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday, yeah, that's right. It's a no. September thirteenth is a Monday. Oh, I'm crazy. Then. So it would be, okay. yeah, it'd either be the seventh, fourteenth, or twenty first. Well, so, darn no, it. we dodge, we dodge the bullet. Yeah, they could make a joke. I mean, if they do the event on the fourteenth, they can make some joke about you know we're a day late. I don't know. We'll see. Sure, sure. We're a month away. We'll know soon. Apple Watch Series Seven Outlet Ninety One Mobiles, which has a pretty short track record with Apple leaks, although they did provide accurate details about the redesigned iPad Air. They have quote unquote renders of the next Series Seven Apple Watch, and it is very reminiscent. Basically, looks exactly like what John Prosser leaked three months ago—a squarish design of the new Apple Watch, more of a boxy look. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Straight edges, kind of like the iPhone Twelve and the new iPad Air and iPad Pro. So. Looks like this redesign is coming. Again, unknown what actual features will be coming in this next series of Apple Watch. Too early for a lot of the health features. And there's been some rigmarole about even like the internal health team structure and people leaving and Apple not being able to get some of these health features as fast as they would like to the Apple Watch and their devices. So I'm very curious. Most of all, if this design comes, great. But what actually is going to be different inside the watch that would make people want to upgrade? On the design, yeah, we, we all saw you, John Prosser, yelling about how, you know, you had this three months ago. Obviously, this person probably just copied and pasted that design. It's yeah, just, it's... <laughs> it looks very Very similar. close, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know how I feel about it personally, uh, flat versus rounded. I guess I just need to see what Apple's version looks like and see how they've changed it. Right. I don't have too much invested in what the watch looks like at this point and not much of a fashion icon. So as long as it works like an Apple Watch, <laughs> it's fine. Now... I will point out, though, that the last redesign or design change for the Apple Watch was the Series 4 with the bigger screens, and that was it. Right. All we got was a bigger right. display. So it, a radical redesign would be welcome at this point, even if, yes, curse me, I know, if the bands change uh, in this form factor. Now, knowing Apple, 
they might try to wail around that and say, oh, the old bands are compatible, but there's this new type of band, or maybe there's an adapter. But mm. at the end of the day, at some point, we might just have to let go and move on to it. And seven, eight iterations of the Apple Watch, I think it's okay, it's safe to say, like, all right, we can move on. Now, yes, that being said, you could have bought a $550 Apple Watch titanium band this year and, you know, right. fi- finally, and then t- found out, oh, well, this doesn't work on the next one. So Yeah, and that's, that's just one area. I'm going to say, unlike the 30-pin to Lightning I think this Apple Watch connector is going to be here long term. You know, I don't imagine any redesign would save a bunch of space. You know, it's pretty shallow as it is. And how much they advertise new bands when they come out, you know, they've been doing like a seasonal thing where they have like spring bands and then summer bands and some even in the fall and not just like sport loops, but you know, they have the woven ones and you know, the different nylons. So from a design perspective, I personally can't see any reason to change the band unless it just physically can't fit in a new designed Apple watch. The only reason I could see Apple actually changing it and just, and, and biting that bullet is if a data element was introduced to to the watch bands, which has been rumored for, you know, five, iterations of the apple watch but if at some point bands could become smart or connect have some kind of physical connection to the apple watch yeah that band m- connection might not be enough and have it might have to change at that point which if i'm getting functionality out of, out of it good if it's designed for the sake of design then yes i'm going to be angry with the rest of you but uh yeah at the end of the day it's i wouldn't think that this band connection will last forever sure now i will say with the materials of the next Series 7 Apple Watch, there's been some rumors that the edition models, which have been in the past ceramic, titanium, and with the original, the you know gold, but that they may do away with some of the edition materials and just offer aluminum and stainless steel. I'm going to say as a current titanium Series 6 wearer, I hope they don't get away with those materials. I hope they at least choose one or the other, you know, if they want to do a TikTok cycle, watch pun intended, of like ceramic one year and titanium another, I'd be down with that. But I do like the titanium finish because if they don't have those, then the only sapphire glass high-end Apple Watch you could get is a shiny stainless steel. And I guess they also do the space gray stainless steel, but I actually like the matte finish of the titanium of the current version. And I missed the ceramic cycle. I did not get a series five. I just didn't upgrade that year. And so I'd I'd never got a ceramic one, but I kind of want another chance to try it. I wonder if, I, I mean, Apple has the numbers on this. So I wonder if this is just the case of no one's buying the ceramic, no one's buying the titanium. They're just too expensive. I mean, it would be hard to believe Apple would discontinue titanium only to release a titanium rimmed iPhone the same year like that that would feel like a punch in the nose to people who were like oh cool i could have the same material on my watch and my phone this year right it could just be resources it could be availability of materials but i personally don't see it changing anytime soon because again these higher end things are more expensive they're selling less of them so unless it's just a cost factor it it's probably not going away So in addition to the physical Apple Watch, there's been sub hubbub about the actual health team. And so let's hit that real quick now. You had the article, Wes. Why don't you tell us what was going on? So basically, um, if you guys have been keeping track of Apple Health, uh, they've had some internal things going on over the last couple of years. And about 2018, it was rumored that Apple acquired a bunch of health clinics internal to Apple to help develop technologies surrounding health, not just for the Apple Watch. And they've apparently been dogfooding this uh, app called Health Habit, where the employees have been logging like activity information, health information, and it's also been helping with uh, like some kind of hypertension 
stuff uh, hmm. inside of the app. So that's all been over the last couple of years. But apparently since the app has been introduced, it was originally touted as something that was going to like change the health industry. It was going to give uh, employers a great way to manage their employees and stuff like that. It was going to be this big thing, all internal, of course. We're only hearing this through right. third-party sources and rumors. But uh, apparently it never really caught on internally. Uh, half of the people who downloaded the app never actually used it. And the other half were lackluster and logging their information. It just kind of fell off a cliff. And Apple had mm. over 50 engineers dedicated to this app. So Yeesh. yeah, since since apparently around June, a few, just a few months ago, people have been getting pulled away from this team. They've been to- the people on the team have been told find other places to work with an Apple, or you're probably just going to get the boot. So Yeesh. yeah, it's it's just not looking good over there. There uh, was an article the other day about the health team just you know losing employees left and right now. Right. Connecting the two dots, it seems like this could be related to that. Just people seeing like, okay, well, the Apple executive team is saying, refocusing on Apple Watch, this is what we're going to be doing from now on. Let's get away from this app. And uh, a lot of these guys they hired from those clinics are saying, yeah, no, that's not what I'm here for. See you later. Well, yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, Apple has really been pushing the health features of the watch recently, even with like watchOS 8, sharing health features with family. So curious what the future of that. Curious the future of it for sure, but they're still going to be pushing it. It's just an interesting story from uh, in- internal Apple observations. So if you've been keeping track of this stuff with uh, the employee at Apple named Cher, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's this, all this internal problems with uh, complaints about interpersonal behavior at the company, and it, it's it's a whole thing. Right. We've written about it on Apple Insider. I'm not going to get into it right now, but another side of it just seems like disagreements within Apple. Um, there was a Wall Street Journal right. article in June surrounding the health team about this health habit app and mis- misrepresentation of results of research and stuff like that. And that's why certain people were leaving even then. Gotcha. Because Jeff Williams was touting like at a meeting, like, oh, we did this, you know, internal pilot with 500 patients and 91% showed that they lowered their blood pressure and it helped with hypertension. And it was just like, these numbers were not only unrealistic, it's just, you know, un- untouched by any other method for, you know, dealing with hypertension and high blood pressure in the industry. A lot of people were feeling like they were getting a little misrepresented in the health the health people at Apple were feeling that way. So again, it's just, it seems like a lot of internal communication issues going on surrounding these things and might be why we're seeing Apple just pull back from health a lot more internally. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it all comes back to when they introduced Slack in the company. That was the real issue. Oh yeah. Slack and and the fact that it's built on Electron, which we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Headspace. Guys, I love Headspace. I've been using it for actually over a year now. And if you've tried meditation or mindfulness before, maybe it didn't work for you. Maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. But if you have mental health as part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. I know you might be thinking, I just don't have the time. Well, Headspace has just a few minute activities and they'll walk you through it daily. And I guarantee you will notice such a difference in your ability to focus, lowering your stress, or maybe you just feel completely overwhelmed. Well, Headspace has a three minute SOS meditation just for you. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Do you need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Again, I've been using Headspace for a while now, and it really does help me focus and feel more at ease during the day. I've also done some of the kids' sessions with my own kids. I have three kids, and when it comes to focus or attention, 
or just being a little more at peace. I love those sessions. And again, being a musician, they actually have incredible focus music, specially curated by the Headspace chief music officer, John Legend. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash appleinsider. That's headspace.com slash appleinsider for a free one-month trial. Try it totally for free with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so head to headspace.com slash appleinsider today. That link will be in the podcast notes, and you can just click it there. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. All right, one more leak. The iPad mini, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg says that by the end of the year, we will see this redesigned iPad mini and a different chassis or redesigned regular iPad. It's not a better really name for it, but you know, we've seen obviously the leaks about the iPad mini. There's this new purported like case mold that we have pictures and video of. It's like this metal mold. It's a piece of sheet metal yeah. that someone cut pieces of someone cut and yeah a little suspect so but we've seen lots of leaks and rumors about the redesigned ipad mini i'm very excited for this device you know, i keep thinking about kindle and e-readers versus the ipad mini i was so close to just getting a kindle the other day and then i saw that it has a micro usb port still and i just no, was yeah. totally turned off by it no one so, can deal with that in 2021 that's insane no no did not want to deal with that so very excited by the end of the year again mark german is kind of confirming this we should see an updated base model iPad and this redesigned iPad mini. So excited to see that before the end of the year. It seems like everyone except for Mac Okatara is agreeing that this is a redesign because they were the ones that came out with a report that said, no, this is just going to be another iPad mini. I don't think so. Yeah, that, yeah. Like I feel like there's too many rumors. So you saw this mold, right? The power button and volume buttons are all on the same side, like some kind of crazy person. Like the, the, there's no way that that's the case. That's true. The buttons on the top and the volume buttons, there's three buttons on the same side on the small side of the iPad. And they said it's because they needed to make room for the Apple pencil holder, which is nonsense because it, it can go on the other side from the volume buttons. So it's just a very strange, again, like leak for me. Like it, it doesn't make yeah, sense, yeah. but. All right, well, let's actually get to some things that happened SharePlay, which was one of the big features that Apple touted that's coming to iOS 15. SharePlay is the feature where if you want to watch something, whether it's a show, a movie, or listen to music or a podcast with someone over FaceTime, so you can actually see and talk to the person, but you can also be watching or listening to the same piece of content simultaneously. It's actually been removed from the current betas, and Apple announced that it will not come with the launch of iOS 15, whenever that officially is launched, probably in September. And we'll have to wait a little longer for SharePlay to come to iOS 15. They did say later in the fall, it's not like it's been pushed to 2022, but probably November time, maybe even December, sometimes we'll see some of those features in like a 0.1, 0.2 update. So SharePlay won't be available at the launch of iOS and iPadOS 15, but will come later in the fall. Yeah, did you use SharePlay on the betas at all? I did not. It wasn't available in the very first beta. Andrew and I tried it, and then we didn't try it again since those betas, so no. Have not tried it. Have you? No, not at all. I mean, I need friends for that. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But 
No, it's an interesting thing for sure. Me and my friends have discussed, I can't wait for third parties to get a hold of it because I can imagine having a watch party with uh, friends that live, you know, miles away in Virginia to catch up on some anime or something like this is definitely going to be a feature I'm going to take advantage of at some point. Just, yeah, I can't really do much in the betas except for like Apple TV plus like a Ted Lasso watching party right. or something. And now it seems that this isn't coming at all. And everyone's just like, oh no, but it's kind of a complex feature. It'll come in the fall. It'll come later. It's kind of a complex feature. Yeah. I've of all the features, yeah, it's you know, you got to deal with cloud stuff, both, you know, two devices, maybe even like iPhone and iPad or even iPhone and Mac. So for sure, complicated. Yeah, this and universal control are the big complicated features for sure. And then also in the latest betas of iOS 15, the great controversy over the Safari redesign, especially on the iPhone, has now changed once again on the iPhone. Apple is giving users the option in the settings menu to either continue with that tab bar view or use a, what they're calling, quote, single tab view, which puts it at the top kind of like it always has. Not only that, but they added additional toggles for things like website tinting, which in the iOS 15 betas, as you visit different websites, the entire tint and color of the Safari web browser would change as you go from site to site to match the site itself. You know, if you have Apple Insider open in the tab and you go to that tab in Safari on iPad OS 15 beta, like the whole Safari turns dark, kind of turns black. Then you can go to another website and it'll change colors again. So you now have the option to turn that tinting off. And on the iPhone, they're bringing kind of some of the previous design elements back and giving users the choice. So everybody was kind of celebrating this on Twitter. Again, it's been changing almost every beta that's come out over the summer. So unknown what will be the actual launch Safari when iOS 15 launches, but good to know that they are seemingly listening to the community on the different woes of the iOS 15 Safari. Yeah, the um, ATP guys pointed out that that's an accidental tech podcast for you yeah. non-nerds out there. But um, they pointed out that basically it could be from feedback or we're three months behind Apple on all of these betas because a lot of this stuff is, you know, it's, it's going through their internal channels. It's being updated. They have their own pre-alphas they're testing and stuff. So sure. While they might be listening outside for, for feedback and they are taking a lot of feedback in from reports and stuff, but I, I wonder how far behind we are on Apple. Like what's the uh, lead here from complaints on the internet to actually implementing a change to the features. Cause honestly, this might be a response to something from uh, mid July coming out in this beta and then like two months from now we'll see you know actual responses to the latest complaints it's just seems to be how it works anyway true but yeah in any case uh how do you how do you feel about all these changes like are you using ios on a 15 on an iphone right now i've not done it on an iphone yet and so i don't want to comment on that you know i would just be echoing what everyone else has thoughts going back to the accidental tech podcast guys like marco arment and casey list they have lots of thoughts on the iphone version i've been using the beta on the ipad you know for the past several weeks pretty hard and i tried keeping the tabs in line with the address bar kind of what apple is saying the new design is going to be because on the ipad you have the option of like putting the tabs underneath the address bar at the top of the screen or in line i've been trying to use it in line thinking like maybe that's where the design will one day go permanently. And I'm not crazy about it still. It still feels like I lose track of what tab is active and where I am in my 
row of tabs for sure. Tab groupings is awesome. And I've used that a couple times and I really like that. But I do feel like the old style tabs are below the address bar and each tab is like its own rectangle and it's very clear which is active. Just felt like a better user interface design. I'm still using it and I'm trying it out. I will probably turn off the tinting because sometimes I will do the keyboard shortcut, even on my iPad of command shift and then left and right square bracket, which scrolls through your tabs quickly. And if I do that quickly on the iPad with the magic keyboard, if that tint changes a bunch of times, like it's almost like a strobe effect, especially if I have a bunch of Apple Insider tabs open and various websites in between. It's a little jarring. So the tinting I can do without, you know, I'd rather Safari just stay whatever color the default is as I browse different websites. Don't want that changing, but I don't know. Jury's still out. I'm not sure. It's weird for me because I've noticed a different and uh, a difference in opinion depending on if you're one of those people with a hundred tabs open versus three tabs open and I'm, and I'm a person who might have three or less tabs open at any given moment even if i'm writing an article about something i might have four tabs open it's just you know the thing i'm writing the publisher where i'm publishing and you know and then i have a notes app or whatever i'm writing in open next to it so i'm not going overly complex when i'm done with a subject i close the tabs out i'm not saving them forever if i need access to them later they go in bookmarks like that's how i'm managing my stuff so i'm not leaving just a hundred million tabs open and the top of my toolbar it's just never something i do or prefer right so for me these design changes haven't been so aggravating. I like the um, iPhone version. I've been using it. It's hit and miss. I see what they're doing in the latest version where the whole address bar area and the bottom keys are all have their own segmented grayed out area that blends in. So that way you're not seeing content behind the address bar because that could get confusing. Yeah. That's fine with me. It, it a lot of people have commented, and I agree that the animations seem a lot more fluid in this version for the for the iPhone. So, I think they're getting closer to finalizing that we we might as well just get used to seeing this, unless you decide to revert to the old system. I've been using that one on iPhone and preferring it, and I like how the sides of the other open tabs kind of poke into this to the, yeah. the side of the address bar and it gives you that it's a little odd because everything's at the bottom of the phone so the swiping gestures for changing apps and changing tabs is the same and very close together so that collision can happen very easily but as long as you're paying attention uh, you can avoid accidentally swiping an app instead of swiping a tab as long as the gestures I use to go back to the the back swipe gesture stuff like that all works I'm fine with it I will say I prefer this design just because when you are scrolling or interacting with a web page everything disappears and all you see is the web page and that is very nice for me yeah on the ipad side of things i've switched between both the only complaint i have now of the ipad just single view version where it's all the tabs in the address bar are all in one uh, is if you have a slide over tab open so if i have notes open on top of safari and that's it where the entire ui can kind of move around. If I open an active tab on the left side of my tab list, I can no longer access the tabs on my the right side of the tab list because it's being hidden by the slide over window and I have to move the slide over window out of the way just to get to a tab and that's annoying. I feel like if these things are animated and active, they should detect an open window on top of it and move out of the way. That's just my opinion. Maybe that'd be too chaotic. I think I'm going to stick with this system going forward. I think Apple's got something here that'll That'll be nice once they finalize the product. Yeah, I will say I was just, I got my iPad out and the, there is the toggle there to disable the tinting of Safari depending on the website. And I do love that that is an option now yeah. because I just opened a few tabs 
and I'm going between them with the shift command bracket. And it definitely feels a lot better when the Safari interface is just staying consistent and the content of the web page. I, I, you like the tinning? Yeah, for me personally, I like that, like this address bar and everything kind of just becomes part of the content just because it feels, again, it feels more like a native app at that point. Uh, rather than a whole on web page. So if, you know, God forbid I have to open Facebook rather than have <laughs> Facebook be a, a, this web interface, it feels more like I'm using like a Facebook app on iPad, which okay. is interesting. I like how they've designed that where everything kind of blends together. And I hope that they're able to enhance this. It's different from before, uh, maybe is it Aqua or something where everything was transparent and you could see the content scrolling by underneath because it was see-through and like that got odd sometimes because colors would stop making sense after a while as long as the website design goes with it and i don't use that many websites that don't have just like a top bar with a color in it it's fine now once you start getting into stuff that's just a chaotic mess it, it, it gets a little more complicated but i haven't seen too much of that this episode is brought to you by masterclass with masterclass you can learn from the world's best minds anytime anywhere and at your own pace. You can learn about music composition and scoring from Hans Zimmer. You can learn about cooking from Gordon Ramsay, space and astronomy from Neil deGrasse Tyson, and one of my favorites, The Art of Negotiation from Chris Voss. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I'm a musician, and so I do love that Hans Zimmer course. You get to see his home studio and the equipment he uses, and he talks about scoring and melodies attached to certain characters. I love it. Or if you're a freelancer, or maybe you do some work on the side, Chris Voss's class on negotiation, I highly recommend it. Chris Voss was an FBI hostage negotiator, one of the leading in the world, and he teaches communication skills, how to talk to someone in a negotiation about money or really anything. It's an excellent course. I highly recommend, and I love Masterclass because you can watch it on any device. They have apps for your iPhone, your iPad. You can watch it on the web or even your Apple TV. And there's also supplemental material that you can download. So if you do a cooking class like with Gordon Ramsay, you can download what's the equivalent of a high quality cookbook. And again, one of my favorite features is when I'm watching it on my iPhone, you can just flip it into audio only mode if you get in the car and listen to it like a podcast like you're listening to right now. Lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes in length, so you can do one on a lunch break or you can binge an entire class. I highly recommend you check it out. You can get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Just go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off masterclass. That link will also be in the episode description, so you could just click it. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, this other piece of news, iCloud for Windows has been updated. And if you're a Mac user and in the Apple ecosystem, you might not even know that there's an iCloud app for Windows, but it does exist. It's for users to access some of their iCloud data and things when they're using a Windows computer. And so the app has been updated. And interestingly, the app iCloud for Windows has been updated with password management to include iCloud passwords and keychain passwords that you might have on your iPhone, iPad, and Mac. You can now access those things on the Windows computer. And now we know that iCloud passwords is going to be updated with iOS 15 and macOS 15, where you can use one-time passcodes or the two-factor passcodes, whatever you want to call it. And then on the Mac, you'll also be able to access those passwords and manage them in the system preferences. And so that kind of now matching it with this iCloud app for Windows, this is still not 
a standalone app, which I hope in the near future, if Apple continues to make this play to be a cross-platform password management solution, that they do choose to go with a standalone app for all their devices, iPhone, iPad, Mac, even if it's Windows. And this kind of comes on the heels too of the one password thing that we talked about last week, but how one password with their version eight is going to a totally cross-platform system, but using Electron to build those cross-platform apps on top of. We already mentioned them before, but the Accidental Tech Podcast in their most recent episode, they actually have an incredible segment talking about 1Password 8 and going to Electron and also the challenges of the even Apple's cross-platform systems like AppKit, UIKit, uh, Swift UI, and Catalyst, which are some of those systems are to make iPhone, iPad, and Mac apps as like one thing that can be run everywhere. And it was a great discussion. I encourage you to check it out if you're really into like the developer side of the challenges of it. One of the interesting things I thought about the 1Password story is they actually said they tried Swift UI and tried to build their 1Password version 8 for iOS and macOS with the Swift UI framework and found that they just couldn't do it. Uh, some of their requirements or things they needed to build into the app, they just couldn't do it with Swift UI. And that's one of the reasons why they went with the Electron version to be cross-platform, which basically means you build the app once and you can run it anywhere from Windows to Linux to Mac. So I just thought that was an interesting conversation overall as we talk about password managing. And basically it comes down to, I hope, one, I'm going to keep using 1Password because I do think it just has more features across the platform for teams and sharing things with family members. But I do hope that Apple continues to put effort in their password management game and comes up with a standalone password management app for their devices. Yeah, I don't understand Apple's allergy to making standalone apps for things because uh, used to we'd have we even had an app for Game Center. Do you remember that? Like there was a standalone app that you couldn't delete that lived in your library that was just for Game Center and like no one used it. There was no purpose to it. But Apple was totally fine with that. But for some reason, (laughs) we can't have a simple password app. They broke like they're obviously know that people are using iCloud uh, keychain to save passwords and sync them. They're accessing them on their iPhone or else they wouldn't have broke it out into a separate setting in section, uh, separate section and settings. But um, yeah, the next step would be obviously to give us a way to manage all of this and use this as a separate app and WWDC is come and gone and we haven't heard of it. So probably not at all this year, iPhone, you know, the new iPhone isn't going to come exclusively with a password app, but, uh, it's just interesting to me that Apple avoids these things. Like again, that all these other tech podcasts these last couple of weeks have been discussing. There's no weather app for iPad. There's no calculator app. I think Craig Federighi or one of those Apple executives mentioned that though the reason why we don't have uh, these these apps on our iPad yet is because we don't do it right if we're going to do it at all. And it's like, how hard is like what's right for a calculator app? <laughs> Does it add two plus two correctly? Like right. it's it's just an interesting thing for me because again it, it goes back to apple only having four employees and shuffling them between projects mm. <laughs> uh, this month you know this year we're all in on apple music all the apple music features you can get but apple tv is not going to change one iota because you know they're busy on apple music it's fine it makes you wonder what kind of stuff is going on in there because yes you can't throw you know bodies at every problem you can't solve uh, all the production issues or whatever you know just by increasing your employment basis but it does help when you have multiple projects to have multiple people working on them do you remember when like 
I don't know, it's been years, but there's been conversations around Apple internally about uh, certain apps having only one person in charge of the app. Like there's one guy yeah. that works on contacts and that's his whole job is working on contacts. Yes. But then he gets pulled over to work on HomePod or something. And it's like, well, contacts isn't getting updated anytime soon. So <laughs> odd. Yeah, it is odd. I will say we had talked about last week that there's not an easy way to get to the passwords management on iPhone and iPad. And we did have a listener, I forget what his name was, forgive me, but he did share that you can actually use a URL scheme with like a Siri shortcut to in one tap access those password settings. And so I will put a link in the podcast description that jumps to that password uh, screen and you can use that, you know, you can even make it an app icon so it feels like an app when you do that, but you can kind of hack around it and access your password manager a little easier if you use the built-in uh, iCloud keychain stuff. Yeah, I had this set up before when the password section was still buried in the settings app and uh, it was a, it was just a different uh, URL scheme and I just never learned I don't know I don't know how people figure this out but I never learned what the uh, new URL scheme for the new location and settings was I, I I'm sure it's some simple like oh yeah the dollar sign you that's for the right the the base and then the you, the equal sign it takes you one level deeper it's like I don't I don't I don't know yeah 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 I'm I'm sure there's some very simple way of figuring these things out but anyway this person figured it out for me so I don't have to learn thank you and <laughs> <laughs> and I will put the link to a a series shortcut already made with this URL scheme in there. So if you just want to add it to your iPhone, add a home screen icon with it, you'll be able to do that with that link in the podcast episode notes. All right, Apple Care Plus, Apple announced that you'll actually be able to, when you buy a device, sign up for just one year of Apple Care Plus, which is different than previously you had to do the three years of Apple Care Plus and pay for it right up front. Now, if you just want to do one year of Apple Care Plus protection, you could do that. And an example would be if you were to get a 16-inch MacBook Pro, which let's be honest, don't do that right now because the Apple Silicon versions will be coming out soon. But if you got a 16-inch MacBook Pro, you could buy Apple Care Plus coverage for one year at $140, or you still have the option of buying that three-year coverage for Apple Care Plus, and that would cost $380. So you do save a little money when you buy the three years up front. But if you just want to go year by year, you can do that now with Apple hardware. And some even allows you to go month to month. I know on my son's Apple Watch SE, I do a month to month Apple Care Plus almost subscription. I think because if you do that, you can kind of do it in perpetuity. I imagine eventually it would you would not be able to do it when the device either becomes obsolete or Apple just stops supporting it, but that would be many more years than just one to three. So I thought that was an interesting change for the Apple Care Plus plans. Uh, Steven, can I confess something exclusive to the Apple Insider podcast? Oh, goodness. Yes, please. Yeah, I've, I've never purchased Apple Care for anything ever. <laughs> do you do the iPhone upgrade plan, though? No. I use Verizon. I'm, uh -huh. I've been grandfathered into their to whatever the first year that Verizon said, "Hey, pay to upgrade your iPhone every year." I did that thing, and I've just been doing that ever since. I've never bothered changing. I can. I might even uh -huh. be able to get a deal shifting over to the Apple Card doohickey uh, this fall. I, I'm, I'm going to look into it. But yeah, I've, I've been on the Verizon one ever since. So wow, that is yeah, something. So never had the Apple Care on anything. <laughs> <laughs> that is something. Well, I will say the opposite. I get Apple Care Plus. On definitely my iPhone because it's with the Apple iPhone upgrade plan. I get it on my iPads because I keep those for a while. And 
when I edit podcasts with it, it's not in a case or anything. And so if I drop it, I just want to know it's protected. The only time I've used Apple Care Plus, though, is with one iPhone. I think it was my iPhone 10 that I dropped it and the screen cracked and I got it replaced. And then more recently with my son's Apple Watch SE. But a couple good experiences with Apple Care Plus, and it becomes very tempting going forward to get it. Yeah. Again, with a desktop, I probably wouldn't get it on like an iMac or something. Laptop, I don't know. I've had to replace two screens in my lifetime, an iPhone 7 and an iPhone 10 out of some stupid drunken parking lot story. But um, <laughs> okay. that's 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 all because I, I, I don't know if it was because of the case was bad. I started just basically going in and out of cases by the iPhone 10 and I've been caseless on my iPhone for the last two generations. I just, I won't use cases anymore. I've never had an issue of, this is me coming from the military. Like I spent starting with Apple in 2014 to when I got out of the military in 2019, never using Apple care plus while walking around on these giant metal bunkers that floating on water. So <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I got lucky, I guess, but yes, of course, if I ever break like the iPhone 12 and have to go pay $500 to get the back replaced, I'm going to feel the pain. But for whatever reason, I just, maybe how I handle my devices, maybe I'm just extra anxious, extra careful, but just never had that issue before. And I'm just going to go with the law of averages here of, okay, if I never buy Apple care and then I have to go and, and one thing blows up that one time <laughs> will take care of all of the Apple care purchases I've never made. So <laughs> that is so that is true. That is true. All right. Very quickly. Netflix finally gets uh, spatial audio for iPhone and iPad. Is there, is there anything on Netflix right now that like, I haven't honestly watched anything on Netflix. I'll be honest, I do not subscribe to Netflix anymore because I just wasn't really watching it. So, but I don't know, people might still be doing it. So there you go. You can do spatial audio with it now. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And get this, it's free. I've actually hired many people in my line of work trying to find creative people or video or graphic designers and trying to hire from some of these other websites. It can really be frustrating. It's hard to actually get people who are qualified, who know what they're doing, who would be a good fit for the position. But LinkedIn Jobs actually has incredible candidates just waiting to apply for your job. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Apple Insider. That's linkedin.com slash Apple Insider to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. That link will also be in the show notes, linkedin.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. A Steve Jobs email was released through the Epic Games court case and all that. And this email from Steve Jobs confirms that Apple was working on an iPhone Nano back in 2010, which pretty hilarious because now we actually have the iPhone mini, which 
again, I think basically would have been that kind of device. But interesting that Apple was already thinking about that just a few years after the iPhone launched way back in 2010. That's pretty cool. Was there an iPod mini? Am I crazy? Or is it just iPod? Yeah, there was an iPod mini. Okay, because nano mini shuffle, there was like seven different iPods. Yeah, okay. Yes. Absolutely. That memo, uh, if I'm, I've, I've been seeing tweets about it. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of information coming out from like some internal Apple communications uh, today. I haven't had a chance to look through them, but uh, there's some interesting tidbits. Maybe it's from the Epic case or something. Uh, Cause if you didn't know the Epic case had just a bunch of emails and paperwork just flooded from right. Apple, like people just going through them, discovering things and you just see them pop up every now and then. And there's one conversation with an uh, Apple employee of some kind. I, I'm not going to name names because I already for, I, I can't remember if it's an executive, but bringing us into our next conversation, they said something along the lines of, our priorities are the inverse, which is why we are the greatest platform for distributing child porn. <laughs> oh, no. Mm. Yeah, and that is a communication via iMessage from sometime in 20... 20- it's It says here, Apple's head of fraud, uh, some guy named Eric Friedman, said this in an internal communication. So, again, like... <laughs> I don't know where this came from. I'm seeing it via the verge. So it's like, it's a real thing. It's just, wow, Apple. Uh, Like, obviously they were aware of the problem and the CSAM detection system is years in the making, but geez, what a, what a terrible thing to say, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, speaking of CSAM, this was something a Reddit user came out with. So this guy, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, but I'll put the link to the Apple Insider article in the show notes. But he went through iOS 14.3 and says that he found a neural hash code inside that build of the operating system, tried to reverse engineer it, seemed to have done it successfully, got a working model of the neural hash code and system in Python. And there's actually a bunch of users like testing images through it, seeing if they can trick the neural hash versus images that are similar, but slightly different and all this kind of stuff. Now there's a bunch of details to it. We don't have to go super in depth about it, but Apple has said that this was not going to be the thing that ships with iOS 15. And when the whole CSAM system is implemented with the whole NCMEC database and all that coming this fall, like this is not going to be used. And so, you know, it's interesting that he uncovered it. Interesting that Apple was testing a neural hash code even back with iOS 14.3. But I do not think listeners or users have to be worried or concerned about this at all. It's one of those things where... Apple has been developing this for years, as I said, and they're going to need to test certain systems. This algorithm is existing on its own, hidden behind a API that's just, it's named MobileNet version three, but the person was able to determine that it was the actual algorithm using Apple's notes on how the code worked and different things. But it, it was, it was obvious that this was the image hashing algorithm, but that's all it was. It was by itself. It wasn't working. So don't worry. They're not performing anything in 14.3 that right. that code was just there likely. So internal developers could pass things through it and see what happens kind of stuff that there's a lot of code in iOS. That's just junk sitting there waiting to be used. So that this isn't, this isn't new. Apple says that this kind of code is supposed is, is meant to be found in the system. So like once iOS 15 launches with this CSAM detection detection feature, users will be able to go pull the algorithm just as this person did reverse engineer it and test it. Apple actually intends this to be the case. It, it can only help if people find ways to defeat it. Obviously Apple doesn't expect anyone to defeat it. They're pretty right. adamant about that, but this system in 14.3 was able to be fooled by this collision. They 
were able to basically create two different images that looked different that produced the same hash. And it, it, everyone's like, oh no, see, look, there you go. All, all someone has to do now is alter some regular pornography with these hashes and the Apple human reviewer won't know any different because it'll still look like a you know naked person or whatever and they'll pass it along to the authorities. Now everyone's getting arrested for having this illegal stuff. And it's, you know, the usual slippery slope conversation happened. But from what I determined when I wrote this article and, and said as such is, well, based on the fact that this algorithm could was fooled by rotation and cropping, then there was no way this was the final version because Apple specifically called out rotation and cropping as something that its algorithm could detect. So yeah. Apple then later, of course, confirmed this saying, no, it's not the actual algorithm. It is a version of it. It's outdated. It's been replaced. So I'm interested in seeing what these, you know, tech sleuths, these hackers, whatever you want to call them, you know, go in and find once Apple actually publishes this stuff, you know, later this year, maybe see if the collision stuff is still possible, if there's any weaknesses, because, you know, Apple's aware they're going to get this put through the ringer. And I, I'm, I'm, assuming they've done their own internal tests they put their best on it and oh, yeah. it's likely fairly secure but i'm 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 ready for people to prove it that's the case in the public eye anyway yeah. yeah people were very ready to light their torches and get their pitchforks and march to apple because of this discovery but yeah there's really nothing here to talk about it's pre-version code it's like it's like finding a beta of a video game on the internet that hasn't come out yet and it doesn't work you know it's <laughs> right yeah, not, not right. quite finished the code supposedly is on github if anyone out there wants to like mess around with it but again i'll put a link to the article in show notes and we got all the links in there now this was interesting david findlay on twitter he actually tweeted at myself and you and he went up to a restaurant in Adirondack, New York. And as he walked up to the door, there is a sign here. I'll put this as the chapter art as you listen to the podcast. But it says, Apple Cards Not Accepted. And then there's like the, the no smoking red circle with the line through it over the Apple logo. And David said the reason was the age of their system and not being able to create a receipt with a tip area. Now, this seemed very strange to me. One, because if no one knew you were using an Apple card, it is basically just a MasterCard and it has a magnetic stripe and a chip. So anything that takes a normal MasterCard credit card should be able to take the Apple card. Like it, it literally, I don't understand why it would have anything to do with the kind of receipt that comes out at this restaurant and a tip area or anything like that. So I, I thought this was very curious. And if listeners are out there if you have seen any establishment say that they can't accept an Apple card for some reason, I'd be curious to know. But this is the first thing I've ever seen of someplace just saying, no, we can't take it. Yeah, that's uh, kind of crazy to me. Obviously, their system's just 100 years old. They're using the magnetic swiping technique from 1955. You know, it's it's insane. There's no there's no way there's no reason for a, a, a mod like a modern business not to have an updated register, even if they haven't bought one in years, even if they're barely breaking even or whatever you want to say. These registers aren't in the thousands of dollars. You know, most of the time you can get a very basic one for a couple hundred bucks. Or if you want to go really cheap, you can get the square readers. So I'm not sure what the excuse is on this one. Just strange, honestly. Yeah, I thought that was really strange. You ever you ever encounter a place that refuses to take a specific kind of card? Well, American Express is one of those where a lot of places will say they'll do Visa and MasterCard. But I think American Express cards, there is a higher transaction fee 
for a store to take Amex as opposed to the other two. So I've seen a lot of places that don't take American Express, but Visa and MasterCard are usually pretty ubiquitous. Like they, you, they take them everywhere. Yeah, I've, I've not encountered too many instances where people just refuse to take any kind of card. I know here in Tennessee, we're still got some businesses that are cash only. Interestingly enough, there's a couple of gas stations uh, near a lake where you can go buy like worms to go fishing. They take only <laughs> cash. Like that's it. And yeah, understandable. Yeah. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to get any internet signal for a, a, a web-based teller anyway. But just interesting to me that we still have those kind of pockets of uh, no, no technology whatsoever, even 70 year old technology, like a mag stripe, you know, it's crazy to me. And right to segue into another story real quick. Did you see that MasterCard gave us their timeline for eliminating the mag stripe? No. What did they say? Yeah. Th- this was on um, Apple Insider. If you want to include a link. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh basically they plan by 2033 to, <laughs> to no longer have mag stripe and that the final. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 12 years away okay so it's going to take them 12 years to eliminate the mag stripe entirely i think california is going to be on all electric cars before the magnetic stripe goes away elon musk will have populated mars by the time apple pay is accepted accepted ubiquitously across the united states it's (laughs) yes crazy to me all right i wanted to touch on this real quick someone sent me a tracking number by photo. They're sending me something. Oh, that'll be a little tease for next week. I'll talk about it next week. But they sent me a picture of the receipt they got from UPS and it had the tracking number on it, but it wasn't straight text. It wasn't an email. It was a picture of a physical receipt. And so they sent it to me and I got my iPad running iPad OS 15 beta and pulled up the photo in the iMessage conversation. And remembering live text is a thing on iPad OS 15, I could literally select the tracking number from the image, share it, and go right to the deliveries app with that tracking number, and it felt like magic. It was awesome. So live text, working great. I will say it got all the numbers exactly right, and it's not like super clear. Like it's a, it's a little blurry. It's a little bit at an angle. So, you know, good on live text. It did make the Z into a 2. It's a UPS tracking code, and they usually start with 1Z. Maybe live text saw a bunch of other numbers and just assumed it was a 2, but it did get the V. It knew the V was a V, but for some reason it made the Z a two. So anyway, it still worked great to change that one character and was able to put it right into delivery. So that was fun. Live text, it'll be really cool when it comes out to everyone this fall. Yeah, live text is something I've been using more and more lately. Interesting because there's a lot of places you can't select or copy text, uh, not just like PDFs, but websites, the app store, for example. Right. So if I'm writing about an app and I want to grab some specific test text or maybe system requirements for this app, I can't do it without just manually typing it out. But now like today right. I was able to select a list of like 15 iPhones and just copy it out without any problem by just doing a screenshot Yeah. while in the screenshot editor, didn't have to go to photos, didn't have to save it right. while in the screenshot editor hit select text done, deleted the screenshot. Perfect workflow. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. Yeah. It's awesome. And also I was actually trying to find a quote the other day. And when you search for a quote, you basically just get a bunch of images of quotes, like either like a Pinterest board or something like that. And with live text, you can just select the text from those things and copy and paste it like plain text if you're trying to put a quote in a note or an article or something. So live text is going to be pretty useful, I think, come this fall. What's even more exciting about live text is what developers are going to do with it. Again, like most of this stuff is really cool, but the APIs for it are even more impressive because soon you'll be able to incorporate live text 
into your apps. So a recipe management app will be able to incorporate live text. So you can take a photo of a page out of a recipe book and app, and the app developer will no longer need to develop their own text recognition engine or OCR. Like it will just use Apple's API, put it straight into the app and the user has to do nothing. Like there's a lot of really cool things that are coming out of this. That's uh, probably going to change a lot of apps and how they work. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, for sure. All right, two other quick things. I actually tweeted the other day asking about storage solutions for video. And I was just curious for my own use. I wanted to know what people are using, whether it was a Synology or a Pegasus or whatever. First, I tagged a couple YouTube creators just to get their thoughts, maybe if they would reply. And all of a sudden it became one of the biggest Twitter threads I've ever been a part of, let alone started with everyone from MKBHD to Sarah Dietschy to Sam Cole from iUpdate to Hank Green. Everyone replied with what they do as video creators with their raw footage. And it turns out a bunch of them just delete their footage as soon as they upload a video to YouTube, which shocked many in the thread and it shocked me too but I thought it was really curious it was kind of a fun thread to follow along see which creators have an elaborate storage system and save every piece of raw data and video footage and the ones that just throw it all away immediately after it goes up on YouTube and I'll tell you Hank Green he just deletes it as soon as it goes on YouTube so I just thought that was a super interesting thread yeah that's kind of wild to me that people just delete it but I can't say anything because I do the same thing (laughs) I photographed in raw for years on big Sony cameras and as soon as I've you know, pilfered through all the, the clones, saved what I wanted, edited the photo into JPEG and put it in my photo library. Once all that's done, delete, gone, by. I don't have like a collection of SD cards. Honestly, now looking back, wish I had, you know, had some more of those deployment photos and stuff that I just thought were throwaways. Like, oh, I'll never want to look at this building again. But yeah, that that's, sucks. But again, storage was a little bit more limited back then versus now where you can just walk into a store and pick up a few terabytes for a couple hundred dollars and like it's nothing. And now you can save every photo you've ever taken and ever will take on this one hard drive that fits in your wallet. So, right, exactly. You know, as far as video goes, uh, I'm not in that space. I've often thought about being in that space, just not something I've done yet. But I can imagine it can get unwieldy very quickly, especially if you're on someone like MKBHD's level, where yeah, they're filming sure. in 4K HDR, ProRes, all this nonsense, and they have you know a, a three terabyte video file for every show that they do. But I don't know. It, it's it's definitely an interesting thought, especially now that there's a lot of stuff where you can edit on external drives like you can plug an ssd into an ipad and right. edit in LumaFusion without dragging it into the ipad memory which is insane like that's just unheard of five years ago so it's awesome all right so are you are you going to keep all your home kit insider videos is that's what's happening <laughs> those kind of things no i don't keep but all the b-roll and stuff from like videos i've made i i do keep those and so i, I don't know after the thread i'm thinking about it i'm, I'm debating which i want to do so so we'll see All right, and the last thing, just want to give a personal anecdote about AirTag. I've actually put AirTag on a lot of my kids' stuff as we kind of enter the back to school and they'll be going here and there. I put an AirTag on one of their water bottles that they use with like one of these little lanyards. And just a couple of days after that, it was immediately misplaced and went somewhere. We didn't know where it was, but sure enough, we pulled up the Find My app, found the AirTag in a neighboring town, and one of the families that my kids were with in this place we assumed they picked it up because it was in that town. No other reason it would be over there because it wasn't where they left it originally. And sure enough, they had it. And so the AirTag accurately showed us where that water bottle was. Interestingly, the family that actually had it does not have iPhones. They have all Android phones and a couple like iPad devices. So very curious how and what device actually pinged the location over there. 
But AirTag did work great. We were able to find where it was and knew it wasn't totally lost. So AirTag, thumbs up. Also, in our private Discord channel, for those who support the Apple Insider podcast, user CSIN, C-S-I-N, said that he uses his AirTags almost daily to find his keys. Just not sure where he placed them. And so he can make the little sound, which is really nice. You can just make the AirTag make a sound so you can find it in your house or nearby. And he uses it all the time. So if you have an AirTag story, I would love to hear from you. Tweet at me, at Steven Robles. Love to know your AirTag story or anything you think of the news from this week. You can hit me up there. Also, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done that. And you can support the show. If you want access to that private Discord channel, get an ad-free version of the show and early access, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Apple Insider, and directly in Apple Podcasts. You can even do a free trial there. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider, Andrew O'Hara and myself do that show. It comes out every Monday, talking about smart home and HomeKit devices. And the Apple Insider Daily Podcast, where you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll catch you guys next time.